This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. The pandemic was a crucible that revealed underlying political and personal anxieties, as well as strengths and weaknesses in many churches. COVID-19 stripped away the familiar and became the great revealer for church leaders. Consequently, it enabled leaders to learn important lessons about their churches, themselves, and their ministries. While this theme only appeared in three responses in our initial quantitative survey, it repeatedly surfaced again and again in our qualitative work, focus groups, interviews, and community case studies. Ultimately, in the eyes of many pastoral leaders, the pandemic did not manufacture new problems out of thin air. Instead, like a massive weight placed on a structurally unsound building or bridge, COVID revealed already existing cracks and flaws in American churches. Examinations of engineering disasters usually uncover a series of mistakes and errors compounded by decades of neglect and a system of underlying problems that were repeatedly overlooked or explained away. The same is true in many American churches. Welcome to COVID and the Church. I'm your host, Aaron Hill, editor of Church Salary, a ministry of Christianity Today. Join us as we unpack the results of Church Salary and Arbor Research Group's landmark study on the impact of COVID-19 on the American church. Download your free copy and follow along with our discussion by visiting churchsalary.com slash COVID study. To talk about this topic, I'm joined by Terry Linhart and Michael Green. Pastor S. Michael Green was recently appointed to be the 15th pastor of the 159-year-old Mount Pisgah Missionary Baptist Church, also known as The Rock, making him the newest pastor of the oldest African-American church in Dallas County, Texas. Michael has a heart for impacting lives, and it was a blessing to have him on the team. Michael, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here, Aaron. Thanks for having us. Terry, this is your second appearance on the podcast, so... Welcome back, and thank you for joining us again. Good to be here. So, Michael, I remember you bringing this theme up in one of our discussion sessions as we were talking about the research in, in real time in 2022. Could you walk us through a little bit, how did this framing of COVID as the Great Revealer emerge in our research, and how did it start to make sense of the stories that we were hearing? Yeah, I was on this particular focus group, and I remember Pastor saying one of the things that stood out during the COVID for him was there were so many things revealed that either he hadn't seen, hadn't noticed, but COVID was the time for him to sit down, to evaluate where his church was going, where his church had been, and it revealed so many things. There were too many to name, too many for us to list, but we tried to do our best in listing. And on that focus group, this individual pastor begin to see that there are other pastors who also had this idea of there was a great reveal that they had never had an opportunity to witness before. Terry, you mentioned in the chapter that there were four major things revealed by COVID-19 and the circumstances surrounding it. 
There are obviously more that we could talk about, as Michael just noted, but can you give us an overview of these four topics that are highlighted in the report? Yeah, one of the things that, that came out early on was, and, and pastors used a range of responses uh, to this question when we'd ask it, but some people called it a sifting. Uh, some pastors said it exposed a, a lack of discipleship. I think we mm-hmm. called it like a spiritual immaturity that seemed to exist because, uh, and one of the things we want to do in these podcasts is take people back and help them remember how how charged things were during that highly politicized time where everything seemed to be political that didn't need to be political. And so suddenly the pastors were caught in this moment that they didn't know existed. They didn't know how strongly people held to these views. And then they were experiencing a fragility in their role as pastors, the ability mm. to do the work they had, and suddenly they felt inadequate to the task at hand to know how to interpret all the things that were coming at them from state and federal mandates, from all the people in the congregation who suddenly, some of them were suddenly turning on them and even other staff. And then I think one of the things that every pastor that we talked to at least appreciated was that suddenly some of the programs and procedures that have been in place for a long time were laid bare (laughs) and they were able to, you know, to give it a fresh reevaluation. And often we would be talking to them in these focus groups or interviews and they'd be cutting things because They've long wanted to do it, but the the pandemic yeah. gave them excuse to do that. And then finally, I think that a lot of pastors talked about how much they discovered a resiliency within the congregation. Um, sometimes a weakness, but often there was a strength, particularly in giving in the early days when we weren't sure how we were going to make it through financially, yeah. and and they walked away with a greater appreciation for their core people. So, Michael, one of the major themes that the study itself uncovered was political polarization. And Terry discusses this more in depth in the written chapter. And while COVID didn't exactly reveal the fact that political polarization is a problem in America, like as if this was a a new or unknown reality, uh, COVID did certainly reveal certain things to pastors surrounding this topic, uh, particularly related to unity in their church How did you see pastors connect these two topics, uh, political polarization and COVID as the great revealer in the interviews and the discussion groups that you hosted? I think it was interesting that churches, pastors, congregations realized we may worship together on Sunday, but our views politically are so completely different. And whether it was having the mandates of wearing masks or not wearing masks, the views were so completely different across the spectrum. One focus group pastor shared with us that part of his reason for being asked to leave was because he took a stand on wearing masks. Then, especially for the the focus group of some of our African-American pastors, they recognized their response to some of the George Floyd phenomenon and some police brutality that they, they within their African-American churches, had different ideas. There's a church in the Midwest we, we talk with, and they are a multicultural church. They worship together. They did great ministry together. But when it came to politics and where they stood, they realized they were so incredibly different. And so COVID, the great revealer, revealed we may worship together, we may serve together, we may do this, but we are so different when it comes to what we believe and how we carry out some of those beliefs, especially as it relates to politics. So, uh, Terry, we talk about this more in Chapter 8, and obviously we'll save some of that discussion for uh, a later episode, but tell us about how COVID revealed the fragile state of 
pastoral health. And, and what do you mean by fragile? Well, I, th- I think one of the most significant results of this episode that we just went through is that for the first time that I can remember, pastors were comfortable talking about their own mental health and well-being. And mm. I think that's going to be a good thing in the long term. The survey, we, we asked that what their top concerns were personally for mental health and well-being, and the top one is a simply just a mental and emotional exhaustion. They were thrust in the roles. There were no instructions mm. for how to handle all of this. What are the best practices? Suddenly, we couldn't meet together. Everything that was familiar you know, about the yeah. training of what we're meant as, to do as pastors, everything that we know we, we couldn't do anymore, and, and everybody debated every decision. And if you read through the paper, it's just some significant quotes that pastors were feeling, and, and, and they were weary, and they were weary by the time we got to them with our interviews and focus groups still. It, it hasn't subsided. I think there's still pastors this year who are, are still wearying and recovering, and, and they had to navigate that leadership challenge that, that Michael was talking about, you know, where they'd make a decision, and suddenly, no matter what they decided, it was going to be mm-hmm. wrong. And, and, and the second thing that was interesting on the surveys is pastors still are pastors, or shepherds, and the, the other thing they felt was this intense worry for their people, for their congregation. They really did care for the people they were leading. And so they wanted to be able to care for them, but they also felt very isolated in the moment about having to make decisions as a shepherd. And so they became aware of their own need for um, help. Uh, About half of our survey respondents said they sought out peers in ways they never had before for support, other pastors and leadership. And then the other thing that was tipping was, of course, the workload balance of having to keep track every day of what's new, of what's happening, what can we do, when can we get back together, and then after that, how are we going to navigate the financial pressure and so forth. So I, I thought it was funny. One of the pastors uh, was in our focus group uh, with one of our team members on, on the Arbor team, and and he told his family that he he's going to be a focus group. and. He said his daughter uh, asked him if he got to uh, vent tonight a little bit. And he said, yeah, someone wants to listen to me. And so I think that sense of uh, Ebony was sharing last night uh, about her focus group that she was in with pastors, that that they just loved coming together and being able to talk about what had happened. And it was so therapeutic for them. And, And all of our groups were emotional. There were tears. There was comfort, even months after the pandemic had subsided. So it's a wearying thing. And I don't think the effects are, are over yet. I completely agree. Uh, I remember in our research, in our interviews, um, there were pastors who were retiring, but decided I can't retire at this state. Like I have to stay at my church, which had even more of an impact on their mental health. I think it was an opportunity for us to listen, but not only listen, but to pray and to serve. But once again, it was a revelation that this office, this public office of pastor, I often tell people the only public office you have where people expect you to be everywhere. There's a fire house, they want the pastor and the fire department. If you retire, your boss and your pastor. If your children are getting married, you want your pastor and your family. And to know that this office is so taxing, but to see these, these gentlemen, these ladies lead in this difficult time, it, it was evidence that it was weird. Hi, I'm Dr. Lorenzo Neal. I am the senior pastor of the New Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 
I'm also a senior fellow with the Everytown Survivor Network, and I'm just honored to be here. Many pastors talk about COVID-19 as a great revealer. The intense weight of COVID didn't create new problems. It just simply revealed the cracks and the weaknesses that were already lurking underneath the surface. In chapter three of the report, you described a panic attack, your first panic attack in the summer of 2020, and how that revealed the need to seek out counseling. Tell me that story. What what happened there? We were in the height of the lockdowns uh, during that time. And virtually, I was carrying the entirety of a worship service by myself. And we were doing kind of a virtual type of service. We had ventured off into Facebook, but it was just every now and then. So by this time, not only were we doing Facebook Live, but we realized that um, the Zoom meetings, teleconferences, we realized we would had to do all that. But the problem was there was no staff to it. I was doing it literally all by myself, creating the music for the worship experience, doing the entire order of service by myself, doing the recording, the editing, the audio, all of that by myself. Wow. Yeah, it was it was one of those times because the congregation's older. The idea of not coming to church was way out of their periphery. And so I was committed to continuing to serve them. Many of them didn't even have those platforms. So they could still call and listen to a service. And not being able to fellowship and visit the sick and all the other ministry that we were doing, it was it was it was rough on me emotionally. And one evening I was laying down and I don't know what happened. I just couldn't fall asleep and eventually it, it started to feel like the entire world was just caving in. And then it started feeling like I was having a stroke or a heart attack. Uh, I, I swore I was leaving this world. Somehow got the, the means and strength to get dressed and literally crawled outside to cry for help from one of my neighbors. And they saw me and they're like, preach, we got you. And they called the ambulance. And literally one was holding me and like, stay with me, stay with me. And it was hard to breathe. I was trying to talk. And eventually I was able to calm down a little bit and have them call my relatives and my wife now. I just married my wife. I had them call her and like, just let them know I love them. I really felt like I was going out of this world. And one of my neighbors drove me to the hospital. And it was there that they realized, you know, they ran their battery of tests. and They realized, oh, this was a major panic attack. That's in essence what it was. And they let me just kind of rest for several hours. And then they released me from the emergency room. And by the time I got home, I was like, okay, okay, I need to rest, relax, slow down, whatever I need to do. And I did it. But... It, it it made me realize, one, I was doing too much. Two, I had to value myself over the ministry. And three, I had to reconsider how we as a church approached ministry, uh, the worship experience, and how I approached the worship experience. Because I didn't realize how stressed I had been. So have you been able to find other people to help out with some of those aspects of the service, like technology and things like that? Because it sounds like it revealed that you were wearing too many hats, you, know, you had too much weight on your shoulders. 
I learned the great art of delegation. We had already had a a system where on certain Sundays, laypersons would lead in the worship service. And so we had gotten away from that for one reason or another. And so we did get back to certain Sundays, laypersons. First Sunday was this group, second Sunday, this group, third Sunday, and fourth Sunday, even the children. So that helped quite a bit. I did have some children who, you know, they're big on technology. When they realized, oh, we have a camera. Can I work the camera? Oh, we have a computer. Can I work the computer? And so I was literally doing all of that from the pulpit because, you know, we had limited people, limited seating. So we didn't hold the hymn books. We're good Methodists. We didn't hold hymn books anymore. That meant everything had to go on the screen, Mm -hmm. the entire service. We didn't print bulletins. Nobody had paper. Everything had to go on the screen. And I was solely responsible for creating that content. And now we have parties who I am training to create content. And slowly but surely, people are volunteering. We started promoting, hey, we need you in this area. We need you in that area. And people who didn't usually do anything were seeing the need and stepping up. Mm. One of the findings that we had in this study was that congregational ethnicity played a role in how churches responded to pandemic health measures. And so one of the findings we had was that majority Black or African-American congregations, like 76% of them were considered like-minded, meaning they, they all had a positive reaction or they were all sort of neutral to the pandemic health measures, but they were all on the same page when it came to pandemic health restrictions. Has that been the story at your church, or did you have any conflicts over pandemic health measures or anything like that? No, we were all on the same page. It took nearly two years before we returned to in-person worship. And when we did, we made sure everybody was adhering to the space that we were trying to create. We wanted it to be a safe space. We wanted it to be a healthy space. Our nursing ministry staff, our team, they they worked in the hospitals during that time, and they coached us and guided us on certain restrictions and procedures we should implement to help. We had persons who were in the military who had experienced serving in areas where there were breakouts or gave my local church insight to some other procedures we could implement that would infringe on people's worship experience. Our connectional church The African Methodist Episcopal Church sent out guidelines for us also as we were beginning to return. And we had, you know, we we had full compliance, but that wasn't what we were seeking. We weren't seeking full compliance. We were seeking for a healthy space where people can feel safe to worship. And we never ended a mass requirement, free to come with mass if you want. Even now, we still encourage distancing. So sanctuary is not filled, though families still sit with families. That's what we did when we ran. If you feel safe, you sit with your entire family and all of that. Um, There's only been one time that we've been at capacity since we've been in person, and that's because we had a high-profile guest speaker, and everybody and their mama wanted to see, (laughs) you know, and we accommodated for that. And we still followed our procedure because most of those persons had never visited the church. Mm. And as precautionary efforts, we went through our procedure and everybody complied. Wow. That's a that's an amazing testimony. So 
In terms of lasting impact, how are you doing now that the pandemic has been officially declared over? You know, where, where does your church sit 2019 versus 2023? How are things right now at your church? Well, we, we haven't fully recovered as far as numerically. There's still a lot of people who just don't feel safe coming. We can't blame them for that. But the one thing I celebrate God on is that during the entirety of while we were not in person, the people were faithful in their giving and their support. And so we didn't miss a step when it came to ensuring that the ministries that we were carrying out and the ministries that we were supporting and all the outreach work that we were doing continued. And we had a surplus by God's grace. And the other wonderful benefit is that we saw an increase in volunteer engagement. So post-pandemic, post-COVID, we saw more people willing to volunteer for certain things or ensuring, more specifically with the youth, teen, and young adult ministry, we saw an influx of persons saying, okay, this is where I want to be. And so that's been the benefit. We have seen more engagement. Now, some of that engagement has not turned into membership yet, but but it's engagement. That's all we really care about. You know, we, we realize while for me as a pastor, membership is an ultimate goal of engagement. Now, post-pandemic, I'm learning engagement in and of itself can be a goal because those persons find their place and they may never officially join, but they will be committed to work, to give to, of their time and talent and service to the Lord. And you can't ask for more. Michael, you were literally just elected the newest pastor of the oldest African-American church in Dallas County. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. As a new pastor, I know that one of your hardest jobs is going to be to evaluate the effectiveness and purpose of longstanding programs. As someone who served in the ministry myself, I've been a part of these discussions. Uh, The phrase that people often would use is uh, sacred cows. Uh, These were the programs or events that you just you simply couldn't touch without suffering some sort of blowback, criticism, or outcry from, uh, if not the whole congregation, then, then certainly like a segment. Talk to me a little bit about how COVID, as Terry outlines in the chapter, helped peel back or tear down long-established barriers. How did it give churches a historic opportunity to evaluate uh, their ministries and procedures? COVID allowed churches to establish what is essential. What is essential for us to operate as a church and to give our resources, time, and dollars to with all of these parameters? And for me, it's interesting, and I don't care whether the church was in the country, where the location was, or if it was African-American, if it was a multicultural church or rural, most of the churches in our studies talked about they got back to the basics, just meeting Mm. together by Zoom, by phone for Bible study, reaching out and feeding those in need. And I think what happened was because they were doing these basic heartfelt needs, those sacred cows weren't as important as they were before. 
those sacred cows didn't get all of the resources and time and finances. And it was the first time in church history that you could get away with not committing to this sacred cow. <laughs> I think a lot of pastors took the opportunity to say, all right, let's try to move this train before we have to go back and let's put our time and our energy and our resources here. And I have seen that be beneficial for a lot of churches. The other thing I think it did was it, even the playing field. As long as you mm. had a camera and as long as you were giving heartfelt, power-packed biblical messages, it put churches on the same level playing field. And so churches weren't of the mindset of, I've got to put something new out or I've got to show them what I'm doing because now the playing field is level and we're all presenting the gospel and sharing it. And so sacred cows, once again, we don't have to spend time and money and resources there if they're not beneficial for what we're doing. God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Aaron, we were doing a study for preaching today about the same time, and I think one of the loudest things we heard was that rampant, repeated programming that took all of our time each week in the church was, I think, found wanting. And especially in the other study when we were talking to the people about compelling preaching is they just were reflecting on what they learned and that they hoped for the future that they could maintain this focus on the basics, the essentials of what the church ministry should be about after a, a period, really, for a couple of decades where we've been managing and producing programs as our you know, major form of ministry that didn't, you know, a lot of pastors were questioning how effective that was. So I think that's yeah. an interesting outcome. Yeah. So I know I keep saying this about all of the topics, but that's because part of what COVID revealed was uh, other common experiences that we're going to talk about in upcoming episodes. But uh, talk to me a little bit about how COVID revealed uh, resiliency or weakness in some churches. Uh, how did COVID reveal the state of church health? It's a mixed bag. And one of the things that is important in this project that I think we kept telling each other as well is that while one church may have experienced one thing, the church down the street experienced a very different thing. So as we yeah. talk about the difficulties that a church has and another church could say, well, we didn't experience that. Well, you know, for some churches it was trying. And if you go back and read and, and listen to what was happening in, in early of 2020, there was a great fear of what are we going to do with the future of our church financially? Are we going to make it through? Will people have jobs? And how is it that we're able to go forward? Will people continue to give? And and by and large, most churches would say their core people stepped up in the moment and were able to give. And of course, we later received some ability to get some outside funding. About half of our churches in this project took advantage of that and others did not. And so that was mixed. The other area in administration was uh, building on Michael's theme about 
getting back to basics, is suddenly we realized that administration could be done a lot more efficiently than we've been doing it. And one of the mm. blessings a lot of pastors got to do was toss aside some regular meetings that didn't need to happen as much. And, and what that did was also loosened some power dynamics that were involved in particular churches. While we're experiencing this heavy political pressure from the congregation, there was also some ability for churches to streamline some things, particularly in the area of giving and finances. And so, mm. uh, you know me, I'm a, I'm a bit of an optimist, and I think that out of the angst <laughs> of the cracks that we're forming, uh, there's been some mortar being able to build in uh, around it. And and Michael mentioned that churches went online, and they uh, many churches for the first time, and they experienced a little bit of a growth. They were measuring this community impact that they were having through technology, and it was significant. And, and I have a friend, uh, Brother Keith, who's got a missionary Baptist church. There was no way that he would have been allowed to stream his churches before COVID, but COVID made it essential, <laughs> you know? And suddenly now he's streaming to his congregation and taking care of his people. And now that the pandemic's over, he's still streaming. And here he is, a dynamic pastor yeah. being able to reach his community. So uh, I love that. You know, churches saw a need, they stepped in, and, and that's the thing about a crack. It forms, but then you can step in and, and fill it in. And I think that's what my hope is, that we're able to build from what has been exposed through finances, you know, what's been exposed in the area of administration and how we interact with our community. And we go forward with a new hope and a new focus and not just try to seek to return to what we had before. Yeah, I, I think the challenge, though, is that when you see where the cracks are, you may you may just try and avoid them. Uh, or to use a different metaphor, you know, if it hurts when you do a certain physical activity, you just avoid doing that again. And so... You know, we have a tendency in organizations and in the church in particular to ignore or minimize or downplay weaknesses and flaws. You know, if you don't go to the doctor, you're not sick, right? If you don't talk about it, then uh, we can all pretend that it didn't happen. And so while COVID forced some churches to acknowledge their weaknesses or flaws, like you said, Terry, uh, now that COVID is mostly behind us, I'm a little afraid that it might be tempting and easier for some churches to just go back to business as usual, you know, rather than addressing these problems head on and finding long-term permanent solutions. Yeah, one of the ripples that we're probably still addressing is the area of finances. But I think that uh, how churches fund themselves is going to be a, a real issue. We're very mixed on attendance returns. Some churches are experiencing yeah. a rebound. Camping has been significant this summer. We've been talking about how we're hearing reports that most of the summer camps, adult and children, are, are full. I think that's a positive for the future. So, But not all camps. Other camps are experiencing still a real slow return. So we have to be very sensitive and, and um, not blame or point fingers at other people, but also come alongside and, and care for them in significant ways. Yeah, sure. I'm Ben Marsh. I am the pastor of First Alliance Church Winston-Salem in North Carolina. Been there about uh, five years. Been a pastor overall for almost 20 years. So the title of this chapter, this episode of our podcast, is The Great Revealer. And that actually came from you. That was actually your quote. So I wanted to sit down and talk to you about where this idea, where this concept came from, and then maybe how it helped you make sense of the impact of the pandemic on your church. Yeah, it's... 
an interesting idea that there's a lot going on underneath the surface of every institution, every group of people, every culture, but in particularly within churches, we almost get trained to put on a veneer uh, when we go into church, when you see each other in the entryway of the church, how are you doing? Doing fine, right? And it becomes a mantra that we have repeated to one another, you have to be doing fine, you're doing well. I know that's not the case in every church and probably not in every culture in the United States, but certainly in the context of the southeastern United States, where I've been a pastor for a couple decades, you're always doing fine. Uh, how you doing? Doing fine is kind of like the thing. And with COVID, you, you couldn't do that any longer. For one thing, churches closed down, everything closed down. You had the stress of job losses, political strife, racial animus, all the things that were going on in that era. And so you couldn't just say, I'm doing fine, because it was blatantly a lie for pretty much everybody <laughs> in the United States at the time. Yeah. Uh, so then it became a question, well, why am I not doing fine? And you began to unveil differences that had been papered over for significant stretches of time. And in churches, uh, you had splits, you had closures, you had pastors that would get booted out because they realized their people were living a certain kind of lifestyle or really didn't care to come back after they had closed down for whatever length of time. So that phrase, a great revealer, I think it was it was a forced peeling back of the wallpaper we put over our lives. So in the quote, you mentioned that it's something that you've used in conversations and in sermons. Was this something that you've actually used in, in talking to your church? And how have you used that to communicate to them? Yeah, I did use it. Uh, I used it in part because I learned things about my own church that I hadn't realized. One of the things even though I'm in kind of suburban, almost rural North Carolina, um, my church is somewhat of a purple church. Mm. It's, it's relatively politically divided, and I didn't know that until COVID. One, responses that I got from different people in the congregation were kind of all over the map and how to handle COVID. But two, because I'm in a smaller church, I had the ability to visit every single household in my church. And of those that had political signs, and not all of them did, but those that had political signs, they were almost 50-50. Oh, wow. Which I, I didn't realize. And it caused me to, to take a step back and reframe how I understood the people I was ministering to, and also how we had to learn to love one another well in a period of political strife. So I think that phrase helped us as leaders, my elder board, my governing board, myself, my co-pastor, to work through our differences in a very loving, relational, sometimes confrontational, but not argumentative, not divisive, in a very real way. And um, I, I think it made us stronger. We ended up being blessed with not losing anybody during the course of wow. COVID, either to death from COVID, even though we had significant illnesses now and again, or from the division that struck a lot of other churches. So for a smaller church in a purple area, uh, it could have gone south really quickly, and it didn't. We were able to fight through that because we were able to assess our differences. One of the themes that we talk about in the chapter, one of the things that was revealed, and I don't know if this is the case in your church, is new avenues of ministry. So one of the things that COVID mm -hmm. revealed for a lot of churches was it, it peeled back or it tore down these long-established barriers and patterns of ministry, and it helped churches see maybe where they weren't being effective enough or maybe where they had these sort of aspirational goals, but they weren't really living up to it. And so one of the pastors talked about it helping to refine the imagination of their church. Did you go through anything like that in your church? We, we did. What we 
came to realize, what I came to realize, and we've kind of worked through, is our church had to relearn the meaning of the idea of hospitality. We had engaged in ministry as a church, as a Sunday morning church. A lot of Southern churches, they love each other well on Sunday morning, they hang out together, they'll even do the potluck thing, but it's a one day a week church. And because of COVID, we couldn't do that. We couldn't gather, for one. But then, two, even when we came back from COVID, there was a spectrum of people that were ready to be present in church and people that just simply weren't. And we had to find ways to love well in smaller group settings, in personal relationships, and in our communication with one another online and phone and all that sort of networking thing. So yeah, it was a real revealer for us that if we don't have this culture of deep, redeeming interpersonal relationships, that Sunday morning church can cease to matter very quickly. Yeah, if you don't see somebody on Sunday morning and you realize, oh, that was the extent of our relationship was just seeing each other on Sunday morning. was it? Wow, yeah. So towards the end of the chapter, obviously we don't have the answers on this, but one of the questions that we try to raise is what's the next revelation? What, what are the things that maybe we haven't noticed or what is yet to be peeled back? I feel like now that the crisis is kind of in the rearview mirror, it's easy to return back to normal. You know, you don't want to kick over the rock and see what's underneath there anymore. But as you think about your church and what lies ahead for you in terms of ministry, what more do you think needs to be revealed or should there be more examination of the past, you know, in light of things that have happened? What's the next revelation? One of the things that I think happened during COVID, or or I should say was also revealed during COVID, is just how differentiated our uh, sources of information have become, and really how partisan they have become. So even our theology is now coming from sources that are viewed through a partisan lens, or may even have a, a blatantly partisan lens. And so what's being lost in a lot of evangelical churches is this sense that we're reading the same authors, that we care about the same Bible studies, that we can turn to the same familiar uh, voices that informed previous generations. And I think you couple that with all of the church abuse scandals that have come out uh, recently. Uh, You know, my own denomination wrestling with the Ravi Zacharias scandal was significant. And so there's been a shattering of almost epistemology itself. What, what, what do we trust as being true Yeah, that's coming out of publishing houses, you know, podcasts, as we're doing right here, videos, all that sort of stuff. The, the good that comes out of that, again, I mean, I think the great revealer, you know, you get good that comes out of that, is that ideally it will refocus us on, on God himself mm. and on scripture, that we will hopefully, my, my hope is that we begin to peel back these kind of gateway knowers of information or gateway theologians, uh, you know, the old following Paul versus following Apollos kind of mm. thing, and that we would peel that back to get back to, to Christ as the key that, that unlocks our understanding of what it is to be a Christ follower, uh, and that we don't have to have Christ through the lens of this teacher, that teacher, whatever. So I'm I'm hoping that comes out of it, but at least right now I'm seeing in the younger generation especially um, that there's just this loss of kind of bedrock centers of knowledge or theology that really root an entire generation or a denomination or even an individual church. Well, thank you so much for providing us with a, a lens through which to view a lot of the studies. It was very helpful and it was good to talk to you. Yeah, you as well. Thank you. 
So as we wrap up, this theme, COVID is a great revealer, whenever it came up in the study, it was obvious that a lot of pastors were using it in a positive way to make sense of what was happening to them and their church during the pandemic. And so, you know, it was helpful. It was positive. And what I'm afraid of, though, is if we're not careful, this theme of COVID as the great revealer can be a way for pastors or people serving in the ministry to uh, deflect blame rather than evaluating what COVID may have revealed about our own shortcomings or failures, we could easily focus on what it revealed about others. So, uh, you know, rather than acknowledging our own shortcomings in terms of discipleship and leadership, maybe even our failure to pursue a healthy work-life balance leading up to the pandemic, uh, you know, it, it might be tempting to focus on the shortcomings of others that were revealed And I I say that as a caution because during my time in ministry, I experienced firsthand how easy it is to blame the sheep as the shepherd. Uh, When people don't show up to an event or a service that you poured your heart and soul into, you say things like, oh, well, they just care more about X, Y, Z than Jesus, uh, stuff like that. So as we wrap up, what do you think the church leaders need to review and revise internally? Terry, you talked about this in terms of the next revelation in the chapter How can we apply this common experience or theme to ourselves in a way that avoids deflecting blame? Yeah, I I think uh, the important thing is to to remember the vulnerable moments. We lost a fairly prominent youth worker on the national scene very early in COVID. A buddy of mine who's an athletic director was on a ventilator very early in the process. We didn't know what we were getting into. People were anxious and scared. That's part of the what pulled back as a revealer is that we were fearful of the future. And I think that remembering what it was like in those early moments when pastoral care suddenly became a prominent regular activity, when shepherding became the focus rather than the weekly program, for instance, I think that is something we can't easily forget. We went through the early virus stage. We went through George Floyd incident and Minneapolis and and the tragedy of that, the the mandates, the vaccines, navigating all that, the lessons learned, I think are worth remembering. And, um, you know, the Old Testament's full of God reminding people of what he brought us through. And he brought us through a moment. He brought our congregations through a moment. And I think that's a significant thing for me. What about you, Michael? I think pastors um, should be cautioned to keep this humility. I think there was a humility that pastors learned during COVID. We talked with a lot of them and they were like, it's, it was really humbling to preach to an empty sanctuary because you weren't preaching for claps or applause or amens. You were just preaching to give what God gave you. Then I think this there was another layer of humility when people start returning to church and they didn't return in large numbers. And then pastors were caused to be humble again to say, we've given them a choice now. We provided this, this in-person service or this virtual service. So I think that humility is something we should go back to and retain. I think the other one is going back to the basics, like we talked about, so that pastors can get this work-life balance and this, this ministry um, uh, unhealthy competition and healthy competition to say, hey, we're called to carry out the Great Commission. We're called to carry out the Great Command. And we're not called necessarily to the sacred cows of ministry. We're not called to be the most innovative. But I think th- those are the two things as they talk about 
going forward in the future as they talk about preparing for what's next, I think pastors should really hold on to humility and to the basics. Yeah, I love that, Michael. I I wrote down work-life balance. You know, Aaron, this may be what I should have led with at the beginning of the podcast, but you know, I just think the tired and weariness, the reminder that Jesus invites us to abide with him, to take his yoke, uh, that that's what we're doing in, in our calling, no matter where our church or parish is in the, in the world, and that our personal health does matter. And this, of course, as a guy who wrote a book called The Self-Aware Leader, this is, you know, my hot button where I just think we need to regularly, no matter our age and experience level, to step back and, and make sure we're uh, taking care of ourselves in the process through good peer relationships and, and sabbaticals and retreats and getting the help we need along the way. And then I think that one of the things we'll probably talk about in another episode is that, you know, denominations were found wanting by and large. Like they were not seen as uh, helpful to most local churches. They didn't know what to do. And of course, you know, there's probably, I think I saw a tweet the other day, there's probably seven denominations right now that are just spending their time infighting for, you know, a power struggle. And unfortunately, during the pandemic, a lot of pastors were saying the denomination didn't know what to do to help their people. And so, uh, you know, 11% said they received some sort of help and assistance. So what does it mean to be a, a group of churches together? What does it mean to be a network? What does it mean to be, as Michael has talked about, in a local community with other churches in the neighborhood that you can reach the community? Because most of the people in our communities don't care what goes on inside the four walls of our churches every Sunday. Yeah. And we've got to get out like we did when the pandemic set in. Well, I want to thank both of you uh, for joining us today, Terry and Michael. Thank you for helping us understand this common experience of COVID-19 as the great revealer that our research uncovered. Next week, we'll turn to chapter four and discuss the miracle of plates and pews. We'll see you then. COVID and the Church is a production of Church Salary, a ministry of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Aaron Hill, Terry Linhart, and Matt Stevens. Host, Aaron Hill. COVID and the Church is produced in conjunction with the Arbor Research Group and funded by the Lilly Endowment Incorporated through a grant from the Economic Challenges Facing Pastoral Leaders Initiative. Director for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Tyler Bradford Wright is our audio engineer, editor, and composer. Artwork provided by Ryan Johnson. And our art director is Sarah Gordon. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.